Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Hello there. I'm Rick, and I thank you for smiling when you hear my name, if that's true. I do want to thank uh, uh, just the team for an invitation to be here and to, to further push through uh, the book of Galatians, and especially focusing on chapter two. And I want to welcome those who are uh, joining us uh, from the great campuses abroad in the, uh, in the Timberlake Network. So uh, it's great that, that we're all together on this. I am uh, praying, as I'm sure many of you are that are aware, that there's a team from Timberlake in Houston I'm doing uh, some, some work there and helping the folks out. And, um, and I, I've been a part of some of those teams in the past, and it's really such a, a really amazing experience to not only to, to go and help, but obviously what happens uh, in the team's own experience is, is awesome as well. I was on a, a humanitarian team like that. I was actually leading a team of college students, and we went to a, a town that was uh, north of Buenos Aires, Argentina. And uh, when we were going there, we were co- college-age guys, and we, we told the, the, the people that were coming, like, we will play uh, on one of our days off. We want to play uh, some of the college guys there in this province of Cordoba. We want to play football. And so uh, we were pretty pumped, and so we brought one of these along with us, you know, and on the airplane, and we were, we were throwing that around, you know, and we are getting ready to go, and we were deciding who was going to play what position, and, uh, you know, we were kind of, you know, figuring out who's the fast guys and, you know, which guys can block and all that. And so we showed up on this Saturday morning. In, uh, in, out in this big field, and we're waiting, you know, and we're kind of throwing the ball around, and we're waiting for the, the guys from uh, the University of Cordoba to show up, and all of a sudden we see this crowd of guys coming, and we noticed that they were carrying something that looked like this. Yeah, so, so we were thinking, whoa, this is tricky, this is tricky, watch out for the bag of tricks. We were thinking football, right, and they were thinking football, but it's two different things, right? I mean, football, football, right? And so when we got there, we were, we were, we were like, hey, uh, football. And they go, no, football, right? Like they were thinking, uh, what? They were definitely thinking Manchester United, and we were thinking Seattle Seahawks, right? <laughs> I mean, they were thinking Clint Dempsey, we were thinking R- Russell Wilson, right? And what happens is, we were using the exact same word, but we were talking about two completely different concepts. That's what happened in this province called Galatia where they began to use the same word, and the word was believer, but they were completely different ideas behind what they were talking about. In fact, uh, if you want to look at your notes, if I can recover mine, um, you'll see that uh, we want to talk about the, the difference between these, these, uh, these believers in, in this part of the world and, and what the difference was in this particular audience. So some of you that are new to the Bible, this is a letter written by a pastor named Pastor Paul who started a church in this province. And this province had some, some important cities in it. And so uh, this is a particular letter that traveled from church to church, city to city, as he wrote them after he learned that there were, you know, there was kind of a, a hassle in this area, that the word believer was being used, but they were talking about something different. When he left them, he hoped that they understood that to be a believer, to trust 
in Jesus Christ was all that you needed to have in order to experience this dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then some others came and told them, no, 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 that's part of it, but you really need to operate in a very specific religious way. You have to watch out what, for what you eat. You know, there's dietary rules. There's certain days of the week where you have to really, you know, uh, change your schedule. There's, there's uh, actually some uh, surgical procedures in a sensitive area for some of you fellows, you know, that kind of thing. And they were, they, were, they were pushing the agenda that you had to be specifically Jewish, Jewish in order to really be complying as a believer. And that's when Paul wrote this letter. And so let's think about the audience. You'll see on your notes that we want to uh, fill in a few ideas. The audience uh, between this football, football crowd was a Jewish audience and a Gentile audience. Now, Jewish believers and Gentile believers, that's what they were called. And they were all living in this province called Galatia. And they had some huge differences. The first one is they had major racial and ethnic differences. Yeah, because most of the Gentiles were Greek and most of the Jews were Israeli. And so they had these major differences when it came to their uh, race and ethnicity. And that, that factored into the idea that when they said football, they were talking about a very ethnically specific example or illustration of what they thought a believer was. And, and the Greeks had a different idea altogether based on what Pastor Paul had brought to them. They also had vastly different rituals. Most of you are aware that the Greeks would have been uh, grown up and understood a worldview based on mythologies, on, you know, Father Time, which is Kronos, and, and Mother Earth, which is Gaia, you know, and all the Greek mythologies, and Zeus, you know, and Aphrodite, and all these explanations, right? And if you live where I live, which is in South Puget Sound, down in Gig Harbor, uh, they, would, they would think about, you know, Neptune, you know, as a, the, the Roman god of the sea. And so they had all these, they, they had different explanations for why the world was the way it was. And yet, we know most of you would be aware that the Israelis, they had uh, a, a deep, rich history of temple experiences and festivals and rituals and thousands of years of practices. And so this was vastly diverse as well. And so then another unique uh, characteristic was their, their uh, what I call center of influence. And that is, uh, where did they look to for uh, instruction and guidance? And the Israelis, of course, looked to a place called Jerusalem. That was the, the, the major source or the home of Christianity for them. And uh, the Greeks would look to, uh, well, Antioch, north of Jerusalem, 300 miles north in Syria, but they'd also look to uh, to. Athens, and they would, you know, they would look to the Roman provinces uh, for instruction because as Paul traveled around, those became important places for the Gentile believers to learn about who Jesus was. So a huge difference. Well, you can say, well, that's great, Rick. Uh, that was back then. You know, there were Jewish and Gentile, you know, football, football. They were confused, right? And Paul had to write this letter. What about us? So what does that have to do with us today? Well, think about it. Are there any differences when it comes to people who say, I'm a Christian? I'm a believer. We say the same words, right? We say football, football. We say, you know, worship, worship, right? We say, you know, we, we use the same kinds of words. We say evangelical, fundamental, absolutes. We use these words. But isn't it true that even in our world, there's Catholic, Protestant, right? There's conservative, progressive. There's contemporary, traditional, there's the Free Methodists, the United Methodists. There's, did you know there's 2,600 denominations uh, in our world? And, uh, you know, at boxers, briefs, there's all kinds of things that can happen. 
But you see, we're all using the same words, but we don't necessarily mean the same thing. And, and I'm not even talking about uh, other uh, approaches to God, which would not even be Christian, right? I'm just talking about the, those who would consider themselves Christian using the same words, and yet there's a diversity. I mean, that doesn't include the Mormons, the Unitarians, the Masons, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Zionists. The, the, those people are all playing hockey. You know, they're not even, uh, it's not even football. But it's important that we kind of understand what uh, Pastor Paul is teaching the folks because it's so important to us. Because we can wander off and we can begin to uh, misdefine what we're talking about. And be, it can be actually quite confusing. So this particular letter, the letter to the people in Galatia, is actually considered the Emancipation Proclamation of the New Testament. It's, it's considered to be a, a writing that is so essential that the great reformer, Martin Luther, said that this was his letter. Because we can become encumbered by religion instead of by relationship with Jesus. That's why we have to rethink religion. And you might be someone who's just thinking about religion and uh, a relationship with Christ for, you know, at the very beginning of, of that process. But some of us have been uh, down the road and we need to rethink religion because things can happen to us and we can begin to sort of misdefine what we're talking about. So this is a remarkable book. Now, many of you know that this is a letter, right? It was written by a pastor to a group of churches. But there's another part of the Bible called Acts or the actions of the early church. This is the Rick Steves section of the Bible. This is a travel section where you can read it almost like, uh, like a PBS show where they're showing you what happened. And in Acts chapter 14, which we don't have time to get into, but it will tell you uh, the story of Paul and Barnabas, the guy who was traveling with him, as they traveled through this province. And they went to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and the Derby and all these towns that he's writing. And in this particular uh, uh, this, this part of the Acts, you can see by this map that there was a, uh, they went from uh, the mainland out to the island of Cyprus and then up into what was called Asia Minor, which is today Turkey, right? And uh, Ankara, Turkey, which is the capital, is up above. And they went on what is sort of called the southern route to these very important cities. And, and so there, there are all kinds of amazing things that happened, but mostly some of the highlights were um, in one city, in Lystra, there was a man that was healed. Paul said to this guy, you know, you, you're healed in the name of Jesus. And he was never able to walk from birth. And he got up and he started running around. And everybody was astounded. And they said, it's, this is Hermes. The, the Greek god Hermes is with us. And his, and his assistant Zeus. Now Barnabas got to be Zeus. Kind of the big hitter. The reason they call Paul Hermes is because Hermes is the messenger god. Right? Uh, it's, uh, uh, most of us know the FTD guy with the wings on his, you know, bringing flowers. That's Hermes, you know? That's why when you, when you uh, hear a message or you try to interpret a message, it's called hermeneutics. That's because that's the Greek God of delivering a message. And they, so even there, when, it, when God was at work, right? God healed somebody. They said, wow. Some people said, wow, that's God. That's, that's the only God of the universe that, that Paul is preaching about. What these other guys said, hey, it's Zeus. It's the mythology that, that is coming true that we were taught as children. So the framework was t entirely different. And I think that it's important for us to, uh, I'm giving you this as sort of like a homework assignment. If you could find the book of Acts and read chapter 14, it's, it's a fascinating trip. Eventually what happens is uh, uh, the guys that, you know, that are causing confusion in this province, they gang up on Paul and they stone him and they, until they think he's dead. And they drag him out of the city 
And they thought they were done with him. And all the Bible says is that uh, uh, they circled him and he got up and he walked right back into town. Now that would have been compelling for him to, you know, uh, speak the next day. Not looking his best, right? But it was amazing. And you can see that he, uh, they went all the way, you know, to Derby and then they doubled back all the way back through those same towns. And it's important for us to see that. Now, that's, you know, that's the audience. That's what's happening. Now, the concern was that these folks were, were causing all this confusion and they were coming in and these teachers were saying, listen, Paul, I know he started off and he told you about Jesus and Jesus crucified, rose from the dead and, you know, and that he's offered you this incredible gift of salvation for free. But, eh. and these guys said, you know, Paul, he's not a bad guy, but he's not from, um, you know, corporate. You know, we're, we're from headquarters. You know, we're from, we're from corporate. We're, we're, we're going to tell you the real story. And they misled all the people into thinking that, you know what, um, we really haven't complied to all these rituals, to all these things. And they said, you know, now Jesus was a, a Jewish man and you know, he would have wanted us to, to become sort of proselytites into the Jewish faith. And Paul was so steamed. In fact, uh, it's one of, the, one of the parts of the Bible where it talks a lot about circumcision, which is kind of an interesting, you know, topic for, for a letter. But he goes on to say, and uh, you'll read this if you check out the book of Galatians, uh, the letter to the Galatian people. He said, if you guys are so hung up on that, um, you know, uh, you might want to just finish the job, you know, and like just go ahead and, you know, uh, totally, uh, uh, you know, emasculate yourself, you know. So he was pretty strong language. And uh, so it's kind of a PG-13 section in this, in this letter. Now, they were having disunity, obviously, because they wanted to kill him. There is disunity over what a relationship with God looked like. Disunity over the Jewish traditions in the context of what Paul called God's grace. That's, that was the problem. That's the concern. That's what was at issue when you read this letter. And in order for us to understand what this letter's teaching us, we have to realize the tension there. Now, we get some advice from another letter that Paul wrote to the folks in Ephesus, which is just on, in Western Turkey. And uh, he said this, look, there's one body, there's one spirit. You were called to one hope. You were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the Father of all. And so what he's saying is, this, we cannot tolerate disunity. Uh, we are all part of one one hope, one savior, and one life that we would live together. And so this divisiveness was a, a great concern. And I think you could say that we live in a time in world history that's fairly divisive, wouldn't you say? And this is so helpful for us to, be, to rethink uh, why uh, we have uh, set ourselves up to be so divisive over so many things. Now, I'm trying to think how I could illustrate this. Uh, for example, and I came up with this. Of course, another alarming trend, and it's, uh, it, you know, many of you are, are actually participating in this alarming trend. I'm talking about the crossbreeding of the poodle with every conceivable breed of dog <laughs> known to man. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you right here. Uh, how many of you have a poodle mix of some type? It's got to, we got to have some in the room here, huh? Yep, there they are. There they are. And thank you for being honest. Some of you uh, have a cockapoo, which is what? Poodle, cocker, spaniel. Huh? Right? Then some people have the labradoodle, which is the, 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 the proud, brave Labrador that got mixed in with the poodle and now is hypoallergenic. You know, so, and then there's, uh, there's, there's the golden doodle, which is the golden retriever and the, the poodle, right? Then there's the poodle and the schnauzer, which is what? The schnoodle. 
<laughs> and, and then if you want to go on, actually, there's hundreds of these. Uh, they're called designer dogs now. But uh, uh, the poodle and the shih tzu, what's that? Never mind. Okay. Uh, okay. But what, the reason I'm saying that is that the poodle got in uh, to every breed you can think of, right? The poodle is like the cranberry uh, of dogs. You know, it's like cran apple, cran grape, cran. It's like poodle in everything. Well, this is what happened in this province of Galatia. They heard about Jesus and about the fact that Jesus had done everything that needed to be done so that we could have a, a relationship with God and experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Power over sin and addiction and power over obsession and power that we could not muster in our own strength. And then the poodle got into it. And the poodle was legalism. No, you got to follow the rules. You know, that's not enough. Regulations, traditions, rules. You have to earn God's approval. And they tried to crossbreed the whole idea of trusting God. And the result, Paul says, is not a new breed of Christianity, but a whole different animal altogether. It wasn't just a version, another version, a little more strict version. He said it was not even close. It was an ongoing attempt to house train the Holy Spirit. And Paul stood against it in the strongest way. They were trying to reject what Jesus had done on the cross as being conclusive and comprehensive. Not quite enough. And so this is a remarkable uh, letter that, that comes to us and has to, to the, all the church down through history has been so helpful um, because we can get stuck in adding things on and end up with a completely different thing than what is called Christianity. Now, Paul gives three arguments in chapter two. So uh, last week, Pastor Ben did a great job of introducing uh, this letter in chapter one. This week, I'm just talking about chapter two. Chapter two, he gives three arguments, and I want to just go over those quickly. And then, of course, you can uh, check those out and, and uh, have some great conversations uh, in your smaller groups. But Paul's first argument is in Galatians 2.19, and he said this, For it's through the law that I died to the law. That's what he said. What he's saying is that the reason that the law or the legalism are all trying to follow all the rules, the reason I'm not convinced of that is because I tried that and it did not work. It was in trying to keep all the rules that I realized these rules don't work. This does not create a vibrant relationship with God, complying to all the rules. You know, trying to make sure that you read everything, show up everywhere, do all this stuff. You know, so it's like a whole to-do list. And it's important to look at why. Now, Jesus actually told a story about three ways that, uh, that we can wander off. Three ways that are entirely ineffective when we, in response to God's grace in our life. And he told it in a story called the, the sower, the, the story of this crazy farmer who throws seeds, right? And he said there were three different kinds of soil that were totally unreceptive to the seed. The first one was hard soil, and then there was a stony, you know, all, nothing but rocks. And then there was a, a, a seed that was surrounded by thorns and weeds and it was choked out. So let's take a look at those three sort of responses to the gospel, to grace. And we'll see ourselves in all three of these. The first response is what I call the overachiever. This person is susceptible to authoritarian messages. This is the, the, the seed that falls on the on the path or the, the, this hard. In fact, the, the Bible says that this is a person who won't even uh, consider 
that, that Jesus has done what it takes. But there are the people that consider themselves privileged. Now, who were the most privileged when Jesus was talking about this? These are the people that were the religious experts like the Pharisees. The people that have, you know, the biggest susceptibility to this kind of a, a message are guys like Ben and myself with the microphone, you know, professional religious people, right? We're the ones who can become authoritarian, you know, and think that we got it all figured out. And what happens is we begin to begin to act privileged. A friend of mine uh, gave me a great example of what it's like to be privileged. It's, it's like being born on third base and think you hit a triple. <laughs> you think, hey, you know, I was born. And this is what happened, that uh, in, in this part of the world, in the Jewish part of the world, they're saying, hey, I was born into this tribe, and I, I have a great deep heritage, and I've always followed the rules, and, you know, and my, uh, my sideburns are two feet long, and, you know, I've never uh, eaten, you know, any of the, you know, the, the shrimp platter at Red Lobster. I mean, I've done everything right. And what happens is it becomes exclusive, privileged, and there becomes an exceptionalism and a rejection of everyone else. And this is uh, not what Jesus Christ came and delivered to us, where Paul said, it is one God with grace for everyone. But it's easy for us to sort of gravitate toward a message of exceptionalism or an authoritarian message. A lot of people respond to that. There's a lot of groups in our world where sort of like the more strict and stern and, and even the Bible says hard-hearted, the leader is the more people like, okay, we're following you. And it's because we have a human tendency to want to just formulize things and say like, just tell me the eight things I need to do, okay? Right? But Paul is saying that's not what Jesus saved us to. That's not how we experience God alive in our relationships and in our life. But the second kind of uh, response that's an alternative to receiving uh, what Jesus has is not overachieving, but overwhelming. This is the soil that's rocky, and it says that it's shallow. It's a shallow response. Uh, it's someone who's always searching, always going to the next fad. We're susceptible to that. Like, yeah, you know, we're, we make a short commitment here, and then we move on. We move on. You know, we continue to keep trying everything you can think of. That's what this kind of a, uh, we're overwhelmed when in fact uh, we run into any kind of adversity. That's what uh, this response is. And this is uh, a response that's susceptible to impression management. One of the things about this kind of a response, a person who's shallow, who's always going to the next fad and the next fad, is so concerned about what other people think, Right? And you probably heard that old saying that uh, you wouldn't care so much what others think about you if you knew how often they did. They're not actually thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves most of the time. But, uh, but it's this idea that, you know, uh, I'll fake it till I make it. I'll just keep moving and I'll try to, you know, I'll try to uh, sort of pose, right? And, and I, I am what you think I am. That's how I define myself. Or it's even more accurate to say, I am what I think you think I am. I'm not really sure, but I think you think this. And a lot of us can, can begin to live out our spirituality that way. And we're trying to make sure that, you know, is everybody okay with me? You know, how's everybody? Think? And that is not what Jesus came to give us, but to set us free from uh, this searching for approval because he has once and for all loved us and approved of us. This is what Paul was saying. Uh, the third uh, kind of unreceptive response to the message of grace is, is it's not overachieving or overwhelming. It's overcrowding. It's this idea that uh, uh, 
Jesus said that when the seed goes into the soil, there's, there, it's choked by thorns, by weeds, and these are riches, seeking pleasure, and being filled with anxiety, right? This is someone who's comfortably uncomfortable. You know, we got everything we need, but we're still not comfortable, right? And uh, it's easy to get into this sort of consumeristic, hedonistic kind of group, especially in our part of the world, right? And so uh, what happens is this causes us to become susceptible to a prosperity type message, you know, that, hey, uh, you know, if something bad's happening to you, that's because, you know, you didn't do something right, and if something good's happening to you, you know, you're cashing in. There were a group of people in Jesus' day, and they were called the Sadducees. And uh, they believed, they, the Bible says it over and over, whenever it says the Sadducees, it says, who didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They thought, this is it. This is it. This is as close as you get. So if you do something good, you get a payoff. If you do something bad, you get a punishment. And that's how I'm going to interpret life. And that is a, a message that is a, a complete diversion from the message of grace that Jesus brought. But those, all of us are susceptible to that. I mean, who would do this? Who would wander off from trusting God and, and to overachieving and o- becoming an overwhelming, overcrowded person, right? All of us, right? To quote uh, you know, a current TV series, this is us. This is us. It can happen to us. You know, we could start off football and then you know, we migrate. Now, what happens is, this, this is, I have something else in my little bag here I brought with me. Um, this is the best way I can illustrate this. How many of you know what this is? Some of you are too young to know what this is. Okay. Huh, what is it? It's a dicky. It's, it's what it is, is it's like just part of a sweater. Just the cool top part. And uh, actually, it's actually known also, uh, technically it's known as a mock turtle. You know, so it's like a fake shirt and people used to wear this and they'd put it on and then, you know, it looked like they had this whole shirt on, but this is the, this is all they had on. And this is what Paul was saying to the people in Galatia. Hey, listen, you know, don't be a dicky. <laughs> like, you know, you're, you're talking about God and you're talking about, you know, a relationship with God and all you're doing is, is you're just faking it. There's nothing to it. You're all about the style you know, trying to style, but there's no substance. There's nothing to it. And it's so easy for us to sort of be susceptible to that, you know, to, to value style over substance. And uh, this is why this particular letter is so helpful to us. That was his first argument. He was saying, listen, I died to the law because I tried it. I tried to live a perfect life, and I couldn't do it. And even when I came close, there was no life in that. I just became, you know, hedonistic, judgmental, authoritarian. I became someone who was uh, trying to prove that everything's going good with me. I was a poser. His second argument says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What he was saying was, My ego, okay, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is not the center of my life anymore. See, every one of us has a created self. The Bible says that God created each one of us, and we're created in God's image. But then, guess what happens to every single one of us? We have a constructed self. And 
our identity has been constructed over time based on you know, our family of origin, you know, the, the kind of experiences we've had, what people said about us. And what Paul is saying is that that's our ego. And what happens is we have to crucify that. We have to put that to death. And when I see these images of someone uh, being baptized in water, it's such, that's what that ritual is all about. It's putting to death your ego and being raised to your created self. Your constructed self, your false self goes down and, and you get raised my dad uh, was a really good dad, and I am sorry because some people didn't have good dads, and you know, so I kind of feel embarrassed, but I had a good dad. I just was a great dad, and my whole life, he told me he loved me all the time, told me he was proud of me, did all kinds of stuff with me, just a great dad. And then when I was 16, somebody said, hey, I know the story of your dad, his early life before you were born, and they told me about this really bad guy in jail, you know, like criminal kind of gangster, violent guy. And I never once thought my dad was ever going to hit me until I heard this story. And I think, man, I must have dodged a bullet or something, you know, because I've been lipping off to this guy for my whole life. And I, so I, I, I asked my dad after I found out this, I was in a, a different town. I was 16. I drove my car back home. I said, dad, somebody told me that you were this crazy, violent guy. You know, what my dad said, he goes, well, you never met that guy. Because Jesus saved me by his grace, and I went underwater, and that guy never came up. And I can tell you that that was the truth in my experience. That, that, I, that didn't even sound like a description of the guy I knew. You see, all of us have to realize that our ego has to go away. For that's our constructed self in order for the created one to start to emerge, the one that God has called us to be. This is what Paul was saying. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith. Not by showing up at church and singing the right songs and wearing the right outfit and having the holy underwear and making sure I you know, cross myself in a certain way. That, all that stuff is optional. That is not fundamental. I've died to that old self. My ego is no longer the center. That was his argument. Second part of this argument is that my appearance and your opinion do not matter. That's a tough one. But what he was saying is that um, just the fact that you're impressed with my dickie, uh, it doesn't mean that I have anything going on in my life. And even if, you, you know, it's what's really true about me that should speak louder than what you think is true about me. We just have to, we have to convince ourselves that it's God, okay, who holds the, uh, the, you know, the proper view of us. And we get messed up by trying to define ourselves by what everybody else thinks. And this is Paul. He's saying, look, the life I now live, right? I live by faith in the Son of God. So my appearance and your opinion, you can see in this particular letter, if you read it, you know, many of you have read Galatians before, but if you happen to read it again, there's a, a pretty serious attack, you know, on who Paul is. Like, you're not really that impressive, you know, some of the guys who came and talked to us, you know, you were talking football, but they were talking football, and they're better speakers than you. And they seem smarter than you, right? And Paul was just saying, listen, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. Like, my appearance and your opinion do not matter. And he even talks about the fact that the opinion of the people from corporate don't matter to him. And that's a very important uh, piece of this argument that I think is important for us to, to think a lot about, that my substance 
who I really am, should speak louder, right, than my style. But we're really into style. Uh, you know, one time, Marvin Lee and I had a chance to build this house uh, for our family, and, and then when we were done, you know, we'd have people over, and they would always say, oh, we love the shutters. And I'm like, they don't even shut. They were just like shutters, but they thought, but everybody likes the style. And I'm telling them, did you know there's 66 uh, cubic feet of, of concrete in this foundation? You know, did, no, nobody cares. You know, because what, the things that are substantial about our lives are not necessarily the things that get people's attention. But that's what Paul was saying. That's what we need to really understand. That needs to speak to us, right? And, and the third thing about this, this second argument is that he said, like, we can't be driven to impress God. There's so many people, you know, who are just, all of us, you know, have this thing like, I bet God uh, would, you know, would be proud of me now. That's already taken, that's over. God already said that he has so loved us that, that he came and that he was willing to give his life. And the Bible says, while we were yet, right, sinners, we showed no promise, God loved us. And so this attempt to impress God, we need to realize that being impressed by God needs to speak louder than trying to impress God. That's, what, that's what's called worship. You know, when we sing songs and we get together in a community and we sing songs, what are we doing? We're just reminding of our, ourselves and being impressed by who God is. That God would do this, that, that, that God has acted on our behalf. That's what worship is. And Paul is saying, look, I died to the law because I tried to live that way. But I've died to that. I've died to my, my old life as well because, you know, it's not me. It's not my ego. It's God and, and what God has called me to. And so he's trying to uh, encourage these folks uh, to remember the grace of Jesus. His third argument was, look, um, very interesting uh, phrase here. He said in Galatians 2.21, do not, I do not set aside the grace of God, okay? For if righteousness could be gained through the law or through legalism or through ritual or through religion, then Christ died for nothing. This is the strongest point in his argument. And this little phrase, I set aside, what that means is if, it means not only just to set something aside like this, but it means to replace it. To say, I'm putting this down so I can pick this up. And he's saying, who would, who would set aside the grace of God through Jesus to pick up a religion? Right? To try to just comply to a system. Who would, who would, who would lay down the grace of God? And he said, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm not going to set aside God's grace. I'm not going to put God's grace down in order to pick up something that, that doesn't actually lead me to a vibrant relationship, to, to the Holy Spirit being alive and at work in my life. Now, I was, uh, for several years now, I've um, participated in a, um, a camp in Canada at a place called uh, Club Malibu. It's a young life camp. I don't know if, how many of you are aware of that, where that is, but it's a very kind of remote and very um, amazing spot. And one of the things that I've done is I am the, the last person on the ropes course. So people climb through the trees. They keep going higher, higher, higher. They're crying. They're wailing. They're screaming. They're, they're terrified, right? And then they get to the very highest place on this platform, and I have a hold of the rope. And they have been climbing the whole time, holding, climbing, you know, struggling, trying to get to, the, to this platform. And now 
they have to do, and some, some people have told me it's the most terrifying thing they've ever done in their life. They have to step up, and it's just further than you want to fall. And they have to step out and just trust that this rope and the guy, me, <laughs> at the bottom, uh, that I know what I'm doing. But there's a very interesting process that we go through with every single person. Hundreds of times people have said this. And it's a sort of protocol for climbers. Uh, they're on the very top, and they say, on belay, because I'm the belayer, I'm the guy. And what they're asked, it's, it's actually a question. They're like, are you ready? Is, you know, and it's a question, on belay, right? Can I trust you? And then my job is to call out, belay on. And then they think, okay, I heard him, but I don't know if I believe him, right? And so many times people look and they go like, And, you know, and there's this moment where you just, it's just so difficult. And then some people, they freak out and they won't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it, right? And so the people at the top on the platform, they go, look, um, hundreds of people have done this, right? And they try to use every kind of argument they can think of. Uh, you know, you're going to be saying, look at your harness, all this stuff. doesn't matter. And then they'll say again, once the person gets ready, on belay, can I trust you? And then I holler out, belay on, you know, and they have to finally step out. You see, what Paul is saying is that all of us have gone through that when it comes to really evaluating whether we're going to trust God. We ask the question, can I trust you? Hey, God, are you there? <laughs> you know, are, are you ready? Are, can I trust you with my finances? Can I trust you with my relationships? Can I trust you with my future? Do you really have a plan for my life? On belay, right? And Paul is saying in this letter to the folks in those churches that when Jesus died on that cross and he shed his blood for your sins and mine and on the third day he was raised from the dead that God was saying, belay on. I've got you, right? Trust me. And you know what? I've discovered that it's a lot easier to climb than it is to fall. Even though people are freaked out in the ropes course, but they have it in their own hands. Like, okay, that's, uh, you know, and we like, you know, there's something about us like, I can trust me, right? But when you get to that last platform, there's nothing you can do. We were driving here today from South Puget Sound, huge traffic jam on I-5. And uh, that's nothing new, right? And, but as, so as we were going, and we were thinking, oh, you know, there's a big football game tonight, and a lot of people are on the move, whatever, and we got up there, and all of a sudden there's, you know, red lights, a bunch of police cars, and one car. And uh, we were stopped, and we could see this accident scene in front of us, and all of a sudden behind us is siren, and here comes the medical examiner. Okay? And so whenever the medical examiner shows up, uh, it's, there's been a fatality and so we were sitting in our car, and it got kind of quiet. And, uh, you know, there's just going to come a day in all of our lives when we're just going to have to trust, right? And we're just going to have to say, I, I hope you got me. Because we're going to, you know, free fall. And the Bible says that we can have this exceptional confidence that what Jesus has done is enough. Is enough. 
So what about coming to church? It's a good idea. It's optional. What about giving my money you know, to the ministries and the great things that are happening? That's a great idea. It's optional. Yeah, well, what about uh, you know, being in a, a small group? What about even you know, being baptized in water? Great idea. It's optional. It's an expression of gratitude for what has happened. It's not to make something happen, right? It's not if I do that, then something. No, it's because of what God has done. This is how I want to live. I want to live in community. I want to, I want to live you know, and, and make a difference. And that's what Paul is trying to, trying to teach these folks. And there's got to be a, there's a chance that there's got to be some of us here. And uh, we started climbing again, you know. And that, that can happen to us. We start trying to control our own situation. And, we try, and, uh, and so he's calling us back to trust. He's saying, listen, nothing uh, that we do will add to what God has done. And it's a free gift of grace. It's absolutely free. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 